Hello and welcome to Freedom Matters Today. This is Michael J. Sutton and it is October the 2nd, 2023. This is episode 2 of our podcast series, Freedom from Past and Prejudice. To you, what is the most important thing about God? That's the question we are looking at today. To you, what is the most important thing about God? Last week, we looked at how freedom shapes the life of a person who follows Jesus in many ways. One of the ways it does is complete freedom in matters of no importance, such as politics, the economy, and many things we have been told are central to our life. For example, Jesus uh, doesn't vote because he's the king. Jesus doesn't take sides in our conflicts. He's not on the side of Ukraine in the current conflict, nor is he against Russia or against America. These deep questions are hidden in the providence of God, the mystery of, of God. We do not know what side God is on and what role he is playing in this conflict and other conflicts around the world which we in the West and Christian churches have no interest in talking about. For example, who is the bad guy in the Yemen and Saudi Arabian conflict? Churches aren't talking about that. Or in the conflict in Ethiopia, the civil war, churches are saying almost nothing about that. Or in many other conflicts around the world. But we are told that we, we as a Christian community, we must condemn Russia. We must support the Ukraine. Well, God doesn't take sides in war. And if you'd like to point to me in the scriptures where he does and what side he's on, please point out to me what scriptures you are referring to. Love to know. The questions of politics, questions of the economy, uh, and many things we've been told essential to our life. God does not take a side on, side in. Uh, he does not take a position. He does not take uh, our side. He is not on our side. We, have, we cannot recruit God for our political or social agendas. So, as I have said in the past, there are three ways of viewing any issue. There is the view of the left, there is the view of the right, and then there's the truth. And the truth is found in the Bible, which I believe is God's word to us, and in the Bible, we can find answers to questions that we have. And where we cannot find an answer, or where the answer is not given, or where the answer is ambiguous and unclear, then God has given us reason, he has given us a will, and a mind, and mental capacity to weigh and measure and ponder how to respond to different issues, and he respects the decisions we make as long as we are honouring him. He gives us complete freedom. And the danger today, of course, is that we are no longer free because our minds, our actions, our thoughts are increasingly being controlled by others who are telling us not only what to think, uh, but what the answers are to almost every issue of life. There was a great uh, Puritan pastor, um, who wrote a book uh, on Richard Baxter 
who wrote a book on practical Christian living. Unfortunately, the book was so large, so complex, so detailed, that it effectively became a compendium on rules and regulations on how to live. He explored every single aspect of human life that could be written about in the the time in which he lived, which was um, the time of the Puritan revival in in England. But unfortunately, the book is so large that publishers over the years, over the centuries, have reduced it down to a tiny, slim, slender volume, lest they be accused of promoting a kind of fanatical uh, legalism, how to behave in every single situation of life. We're free. Freedom shapes the life of a person who follows Jesus in many ways. Freedom shapes our lives, as we learned last week, because freedom shaped the life of Jesus. Jesus lived in perfect freedom. So if freedom comes from Jesus, it follows that the life of Jesus, the way he interacted with others, the boldness of his message, and his resolute determination to love others, even his adversaries, is a model for us today. And I encourage you to open the Gospels and read about the life of Jesus, how he did live in freedom. He followed the will of his Father in heaven. He was asked by people, who is, uh, they were praising Mary, his mother, and they said, someone said, blessed is the mother who bore you. And Jesus said, blessed rather is the one who does the will of God. And anyone who does the will of God, says Jesus, is my mother and my brother and my sister. So Jesus followed the will of God in his life, what he felt God was calling him to do, the life that he felt and was convinced God was uh, compelling him to live. But he did so with complete freedom, because the one who follows the will of God can live a life of complete freedom. I also talked about uh, the voice to Parliament last week. Christians must vote in many issues in their life if they live in a democratic society. And many Christians are saying that you must be on the yes side, because only Christ- Christians can only vote yes or Christians can only vote no. And unfortunately, both sides are wrong. Both sides are completely wrong, because this is one of those issues that falls into the area of, well, you have a brain, you have a reason, you have intellect, you have to weigh the issues, ponder it, and make up your own mind. The same with every other political decision. There is no such thing as Christian politics. And those who stand up in church and say there is are lying to your face. They are liars and they are frauds. You can be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ in the Labour Party, in the party, the Green Party, in even in the uh, any Australian Christian party, if there is one these days, even in the Liberal Party. You can be a Christian in any American party, You can be a faithful follower of Jesus in Xi's cabinet or in Putin's cabinet. Because God does not tell us what politics we ought to subscribe to, in order to tell us what to believe in terms of political philosophy. So I am arguing that we should go through the New Testament and read about the promises of God. Make a list of the promises of God in the New Testament. And you will be astonished 
at not only the promises of God, what he does promise to us, but you will be astounded what he does not promise. And yet most Christians live their life in the realm where God has not promised anything to us. And they uh, scramble for any uh, Old Testament verse or some obscure verse in some obscure prophetic text in the Old Testament to justify their policies, to justify their beliefs. And this is unfortunate because in the Old Testament, the promises of God, the promises and prophecies of God were to the people of Israel. They were not to us. They were to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel were pointed to the coming of the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. So we have to be very careful when we read the Old Testament and we try to apply the promises that were given to the uh, monarchy, to David, to Solomon, and say that they apply to us. There are specific promises that also relate to the Messiah, and Mesoanic promises and prophecies. They do not relate to us. We cannot claim those promises for ourselves. They are promises related to the coming of the Messiah. So we can be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and be in Putin's cabinet, or Xi's cabinet, or in the Labour Party, or in the Liberal Party, or in the Greens. Democracy is not a prerequisite for acceptance by God. And those who say that it is are lying to you. They are barefaced lies. And chances are they probably have no faith because it is impossible to read the scriptures and believe that God is promoting a political agenda. Even Paul spoke about those in the house of Herod and in the house of Caesar who followed Jesus, Luke 8, 3 and Philippians 4, 22. Herod was an unsavory individual, from what we can tell, even in secular accounts. Very few of the Herods were nice people, but in that household there were men and women who followed Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And in the house of Caesar, we also know that at the time of Paul's writings and the life of Jesus, Tiberius and the other emperors were not very nice people. Um, even secular accounts have given very negative portrayals of these men. But there were men and women who worked for Caesar in his household who followed Christ. I know it's a stretch, but yes, you could even have been a Christian in Trump's White House. So what is the most important thing about God to you? If you had 30 seconds, what would you say about God? When I lived in Washington, D.C., I discovered that there was the 30-second rule. People in Washington, as in any other capital around the world, they're busy people. I was an academic at the time, and academics take a long time to say anything. If you don't believe me, go to an academic conference, especially if you suffer from insomnia, it will be a miracle cure. These academic conferences are often so boring, mind-numbingly boring, boring, it's enough to drive someone to drink. But from a starting point, it is important that we, uh, our answer to this question depends on our audience. If you are talking to academics, then sure, bore them to death. Talk to them for three hours about your conceptual framework before you look into your hypothesis and then your 25 points that you'd like to make and then your very detailed conclusion with 50 graphs on PowerPoint. But most people don't live in that world. Most people live a little bit like the Washington DC world. You could argue, for example, that 
what I learnt in Washington DC is a little bit like the elevator test. So if you are in the elevator and you meet an old friend and the friend says to you, Sir Michael, what are you up to? You have about 30 seconds or even less to tell them what you're up to or what is important to you. You don't say, well, I have 30 minutes that I'd like to explain to you my position in life and my belief. And so I'll just press the stop button here and I'll continue with this conversation until I'm finished. No, you have about 30 seconds or if you meet someone in the street or if you meet one of your friends, even if you're having a phone conversation. 30 seconds to a minute really is the time you need to explain everything you want to explain. Your answer also would be dependent, dependent upon your culture, your heritage, and how you have come to know God. It also depends on whether you are a person following Jesus. Everyone is different and there is no right answer. <clears throat> These are the questions we can ask when we read a letter in the New Testament. We have to constantly keep in mind the audience, the people to whom uh, these letters and Gospels were addressed. Who were these people? What would they be thinking about? What were their concerns? What were their interests? What do they want to know? What don't they know? And these are, of course, the questions going through the minds of people we know and the friends we meet and our family members with whom we converse. Remarkably, in the Gospels and in the letters, these writers want to communicate to their readers so they can see clearly. These are not philosophical texts or academic texts, but these are letters and gospel documents written in such a way that they want to communicate to their readers so they can see clearly, so they can understand what is going on. And one of the main, import, one of the main issues of all of these letters is the identity and the person of Jesus Christ. So the gospel writers and the writers to uh, of all the letters in the New Testament, they want to pass information. They want to convey a message and they really want to communicate. All the letters are driven by desire that the readers understand who God is, what God has done and why we should follow him. So if you read any of the letters in the New Testament or the Gospels, I encourage you to think about these three aspects, that all the letters and all the Gospels are driven by a desire by the authors, whomever they were, that the readers understand who God is, what God has done, and why we should follow him. This is the opposite in our society today. This is the opposite of the media. It is the opposite of the government. Communication is the last thing they want. Understanding is what they wish to avoid, and wisdom, well, that is what they fear most of all. We are never told the truth. The truth is kept from us, we are lied to, and we are often left in the dark. They want to make us as stupid as possible. They want to manipulate you so that you can rely on them for information for answers, and they don't want you to find discernment. We see this clearly in the scandalous and disgraceful example in the Canadian Parliament this week, where the Parliament introduced um, an elderly gentleman um, for whom they gave a standing ovation in the presence of Zelensky, celebrating his contribution uh, to Ukraine. 
and it turns out that this man was a Nazi. And in fact, um, they have wanted him for extradition for years. He was a lifelong fascist and supporter of Adolf Hitler. And the government's response is, oh, we didn't know. We, we had no idea. Of course they knew. They knew. They absolutely knew. They want to treat us as complete idiots. They're just laughing at us. They bring a Nazi into the Canadian parliament and praise him and they say, oh, we didn't know about it. Of course they knew who he was. Absolutely they knew. And this is part of this, this dumbing down, this making us as stupid as possible. We're never told the truth. The truth, the truth is kept from us. We are lied to and we're often left in the dark. And it was only the Jewish community in Canada uh, who made a, a, a severe protest, significant protest against this disgraceful event that the Speaker to the Parliament was forced to resign. They just hoped to get away with it. They wanted to stain the people of Canada with the blood of the Holocaust by bringing a Nazi into the Parliament and everyone approving him and, and clapping, clapping him and, and becoming complicit in the Holocaust, which was the point of the exercise, to stain the Parliament of Canada with the blood of the Jews who were massacred and murdered by Ukrainian collaborators, by Latvian collaborators and other Eastern European collaborators in World War II along with the Wehrmacht and the Nazis. It was a disgraceful episode. And I'm actually, I'm astounded that the media has given it as much attention as they have. Um, it is quite remarkable that it was even covered. Even fake news ABC managed to cover it in Australia. But overall... Communication is the last thing the government wants. So this is the opposite to God. God wants to communicate and the world wants to confuse. The point is that we can understand God because God has been revealed to us. We can know about him and we can follow him. The Gospels, the New Testament letters, the Hebrew Bible is there for us to understand God because God has been revealed to us, we can know about him and we can follow him. And the point of all these writers who write to us from the distant past, they write to us with the intention for us to know God. God is not a mystery. God is made known to us by words spoken by others, words that speak to our hearts, to our minds, and to our wills. We can know God because God has spoken and God can be understood through words. Words are at the heart of God and his love for us. The first allegation against God, the first rebellion against God, concerned what he had said, not what he had done. For what he had done was obvious he had created the world. He had brought life into being. He had breathed his spirit on all things. These things could not be disputed. But the adversary, the serpent in Eden, in questioning the mother of all people, Eve, asked, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The first allegation was to bring into question what God had said. That serpent is a picture of the one whom we know as Diabolos, the adversary, the ancient enemy of God, and his main attack 
his principal attack is not against us, but his principal attack is on the word of God. He seeks to bring into question what God has said. Remember when he fought Jesus in the wilderness in that great and terrible battle, Satan tried to bring into question various texts of the Hebrew Bible. I wrote about this extensively in my book, Is Russia Our Enemy? Satan tried to defeat Jesus by twisting and uh, perverting the text of Scripture. For the devil knows the Bible. It is his favorite book. He quotes from it all the time. When was the last time you quoted from the Scriptures to your friends? Or are we too busy talking about Trump or the culture war or abortion or which party will win the next election? For those who wrote the New Testament, the nature of God was entirely wrapped up in what God said, that God spoke, that God's testimony was something that could be seen, heard, understood and spoken about. John the Apostle talks constantly about Jesus in this way. In fact, he goes so far as to say that Jesus is Logos, the Word of God, the very, in a sense, personification of God speaking to us. He writes in his Gospel, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus was, in a way, God's message to the world. He was God's words to the world. And he was God's wisdom to the world. The wisdom of God is found in the identity, the actions and the words of Jesus. What is the most important thing you can say about God? The author to the Hebrews puts it this way. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. There it is, 30 seconds or less. That's a summary of the Christian faith. That's what it's about, even in the first verse. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. These verses are among the most profound in all the Bible. And there is much that they say, and sadly we tend to rush over them quickly and look for better things, because they don't concern us. These words do not make us rich, they do not bring prosperity, they will not get Trump elected, they will not defeat wokeism, and we move on as quickly as possible. I think it's interesting what he does not say. Do you notice it? It really struck me when I first read it, or when I read it recently again. Do you notice it? Let me read it again. The author is giving a summary in one verse of the entire Hebrew Bible. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also 
made the universe. I'm not sure if you see it, but where are the actions of God, the miracles of God, the times that God bypassed the human actors and used his angels to do his work? Where is the parting of the Red Sea, or the burning bush that Moses saw, or the angelic destruction of the cities of the plain? Obviously, the author to the Hebrews is not a Pentecostal. He or she is not interested in talking about the miracles, but in the voice of God. The voice of God talking, speaking, telling people about who he is, why he is here, and what he wants. The actions testify to the words. They are, in a sense, the divine celebration of the God who speaks. Actions of God are the divine celebration of the speaking God. He is not saying that the actions of God are irrelevant. For one of the greatest actions of a person, what defines us from others, other animals, is speech. We have been given God's spirit, God's breath, God's life. We have the ability to speak. We have the ability to communicate. And we are made in the image of God and all made in the image of God have been endowed with this, this capacity, or most of us have the capacity to speak, either passively or actively. God's focus is on the speaking of God. Sorry, the, the author to the Hebrews' focus is on the speaking of God. Because this also makes sense, because God in the New Testament does not intervene in the life of his Son. It's a very important point to make that God speaks, Jesus is born, he lives, he dies, he rises again. But throughout his life, aside from the time when he is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he is changed, or in the time that he is ministered to by angels in the wilderness after his uh, confrontation with the Abelos, God does not intervene in the life of his son to prevent his death. The life of Jesus goes along much like our own lives until his death, devoid of the miracles and wonders that we see evident in the lives of the Old Testament prophets. It's true, there are miracles in the New Testament, but they are for other people. And they testify or confirm the words of Jesus. Words matter. We are told in our culture that words don't matter. I'm I suppose you've heard that phrase, words are cheap, or sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What nonsense. Absolute nonsense. I wrote about slander in chapter 6 of Is Russia Our Enemy? I also wrote about free speech in chapter 3 of my book, Is God on America's Side? Slander and gossip are mentioned more times in the New Testament than sexual immorality, but don't tell the church that. Many churches will elevate the gossip, make slanderers bishops, and then expel the single mother or tell the abused wife to return to her brutal husband. Words matter. What we say matters. Without words, we cannot be understood. And without words, God is still a mystery. A wordless God is an impersonal and distant deity. And how can we know God if he refuses to make himself known, and how can we know what he is like if he does not tell us? But why does it matter today? I'm, 
I suppose some of you might be thinking, who cares what God says? It's so long ago. Who cares who Jesus is? It's so long ago. Why does it matter? It's more important what we're doing today, fighting for freedom and justice and democracy and God bless America, blah, blah, blah. I would argue that a God who speaks is the most dangerous, subversive, radical thing you can talk about in today's world. A God who speaks to us is the most dangerous, subversive, radical thing we can talk about in today's world. When people tell you that Jesus is fine, but you need to be on board with our political agenda, then you know that you are not among God's people. People are busy talking. People are too busy talking about nothing or talking about themselves or talking about others. But the idea that Christians believe in a God who speaks and who has spoken suggests that the coveted, precious world we love might be challenged. Pointing people to the God who speaks in his word is the calling of all who follow Jesus. When was the last time you told your friend about God? Or talked about God? Or talked about the Bible or what you're reading? Or talked about Jesus? Or are you too busy talking about Trump or Biden or critical race theory or the problem of public schools? It's the temptation, isn't it? We all struggle with this because we're being forced. We have this indoctrination, this politicization of culture is being shoved down our throats every time we turn on the news. What did Biden say today? What did Trump say? The reality is, is that governments don't trust us anymore. They don't like us. Well, they've never liked us, but they don't trust us. They believe we are rebellious. They believe that our thought patterns or understanding is a threat to their stability. If only they knew we just want to be happy. Most people just want a job, an income, a lifestyle, a house, a place to call home, a safe community. But governments don't understand that in the West anymore. They don't understand. They see every person as a threat to stability. They try to indoctrinate us and lie to us. And we are constantly struggling with this. And as a result of this, in a sense, society, there's this huge fog, this mist in our face. As we're walking, we're trying to dispel it. And we, we can't even see the scriptures in front of us because it's so dense and so thick from the government, from the media. Every day, every night, every week, it's constant. And it's going to get worse, my friends. Now is the time to get the Bible open. Now is the time to get the fan and take and, and blow that fog away and blow that mist away and return to the scriptures and find out what God is saying to us. The tragedy is, of course, most of us, we don't believe in democracy because we won't even let our leaders govern. We criticize their every word, their every bowel movement is scrutinized, and we focus on them more than we focus on God. So what's happened is that we have... Our society has been politicized. Our culture has been politicized. We are now injected with, in a sense, this kind of drug of politicization. Instead of talking about our families and our lives and our cultures, we're talking about someone else's culture, someone else's life. TV is about living someone else's life. So much of social media is about living someone else's life and a fictional life, an online life, a virtual life. And instead, what's that, what that has done is pushed us away from God. 
it has pushed us away from each other. And all the while, Diabolus is there going, <coughs> clapping away. Because the last thing he wants is us to read the scriptures. The last thing he wants is for us to return to the gospel. The last thing he wants is for us to talk about God. Because God has spoken. And the most dangerous, subversive thing in the world is a God who speaks and a God who has spoken to us about the most important thing we need to know is that we can know God. And through knowing God, we can know each other. The sign of the times is that while the devil questioned what God said, today's world is angry that God speaks at all, that he dares to open his mouth, and that Christians bring to us the word of God. We are to bring the words of God about Jesus to the world today. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Freedom matters today because you matter to God.